I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was going to be a lot cooler today than it actually was. I, it, it's you, really hot, right? It's getting warm, yeah. yeah I like. Yeah. I saw 70-something on the um, on the Apple weather app, and I was like, oh, it's like jeans and like light sweater weather, and it's not jeans and light sweater yeah. weather outside. Do you so like if, I, if you see me sweating profusely, that's why. Also, I just caught myself doing that thing that bothers me about people a lot, where like, I have been out today. Mm-hmm. And I still asked you a half hour after I got back. I'm like, how's the weather outside? Like, It could have like, changed. It, it, it could change a lot, yeah. Smoke um, could have descended on the city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can't go back out now for 48. It was fine when I was out there. And now uh, another, you know, more Canadian fires. So now I can't. Now we have to stay in for. Uh, that's why you're here, actually. Yeah, um, it's I'm, like I, this I'm is shielding you. This is my life now. I live yeah. at Eric's house. I'm sleeping on this couch. Yeah. <laughs> you're walking by and I was like, get in here for safety. <laughs> um, we have uh, Eric Newman here on the podcast. Um Fantastic comedian. You you brought up Dave Chappelle last night, did you? I did bring up Chappelle last night. Yeah, it's funny, dude. I haven't brought so it was funny. So three four years ago, four and a half years ago when I first got into the cellar, like my first couple months there, Chappelle dropped in and uh and I brought him up and I was literally I was in that phase of the cellar and I'm sure you've heard about this a lot, where it's like the first like six months to a to a year at the cellar is like you just feel like you're out at any moment kind of thing you know it's I like have heard that a little you're really bit. fighting for your life like that's a very pivotal time at the cellar like the first few months the first six months even the first year and then after a year if you're working consistently there you're like okay you 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 know you, you could like all right I'll, th- I'll throw a new bit in there once in a while kind of thing get a, you're a little more comfortable but um it was like in the first few months i was there and Chappelle walked in and at that point in my life dude i was like holy shit you know like i can't believe this like, i'm gonna bring up david Chappelle, and um he complimented me on stage. He said something like, hey, Eric, I just want to let you know you have a bright future in this, man. And I literally turned to Val, the manager, who I love so much at the cellar. And I was like, did, did you? I thought I dreamed it. I thought like it was just like I was like being delusional and I was like making up an episode. Of, <laughs> I'm like, finally having head. a schizophrenic break. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for Dave sure. Chappelle's complimenting me on stage. <laughs> exactly. And I was like, that just happened, right? And she's like, yeah, it did. And I was like, holy shit. But I, it was funny. Like the other night I was like, because Chappelle's now been, you know, dropping in the cellar a lot the last week. And I haven't, he hasn't been on any of my shows. And then, like, two days ago, I was like to my girlfriend, I was like, I haven't, I haven't brought up Chappelle in a long time. And then last night he dropped in um, and I brought him up. So it was nice. It was great to watch him. And obviously, he's, you know, the best. Spoken so, it into existence. I mean, yeah. does it ever get old? Because, like, not just Chappelle, but like all like the, the Chris Rocks and the Louis that show up there. Does, do you ever get immune to it? Or does it always have that kind of novelty? I had this moment where I was like, I actually started to, like, feel guilty about the way I was feeling. So I, I had this moment. So the first like year or two, I was like, oh my God, like Louis, Chappelle, Rock, Kevin Hart, you know, uh, uh, you know, Ray Romano. And it was like, holy shit, I can't believe I get to bring these guys up. And then like, uh, and then you have a moment where it gets, where you get sad because you start realizing when they keep popping up that it's not affecting you the same way. And you're like, okay, now what's going to get me really excited because now I'm working with all my heroes and I'm not getting, but what makes it so special still, man, is like, I get hyped because I'm like, yo, this audience is about to flip out. And, and it is what, what it is when you see them react to these guys being brought on stage, it reminds you of how a, appreciative you should feel that you're even part of this that you're even like working the cellar that you're even getting to work with these guys so i i get reminded every time the audience freaks out that i'm like oh yeah like 
that's how I should be feeling. Even if I'm not, even if I'm a little like jaded in this business a long time kind of thing, you know? So, so yeah, no, not ultimately. No, like I still feel the butterflies. Like when I brought Chappelle up and people went fucking crazy, I was like, yeah, this is cool. And I like that idea of like, yeah, you're excited to see Chappelle, but you're almost more excited even to see the crowd's reaction. Yeah. It's, it's like you're a parent about to give a kid a, a Christmas present. Exactly. Like, you yeah. know you're about or to Hanukkah. give it. Hey, oh, oh, Hanukkah. Oh, sorry, yeah, Hanukkah, yeah. yeah. Any any of the major uh, winter <laughs> pagan holidays, whatever, you know, uh, anything like that. Yeah, you're about yeah. to give them the N64, and they're going to rip it off, and like, oh, yeah. my God, here it is. Yeah. Um, that's great, man. So, wait, this is a new apartment for you. Cause you it is. Because you are originally from the neighborhood that I... Yeah, I was. Um, I lived in the Upper East Side for 22 years or something, and uh, and I just made the move. I actually, I know we were talking about me being out earlier today. I went to go. Uh, it's my girlfriend's last day. She quit her job. She was working at Peloton, and so today's her official last day working Whoa. at Peloton. So I went to go buy flowers for her. This podcast episode isn't going to come out in the next hour, is it? No, it's not. Okay, so it's still yeah. going to be a surprise. Perfect. I cannot turn around and edit but, things that fast. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we have uh, we have flowers over there waiting for her when she gets back. And yeah, so we moved in April. Um, we finally got into good, you know, into a good place. Uh, we had this organizer come in, dude. We hired this organizer, which was, I, I'm not even kidding, Pete. We would have had boxes here until the end of the lease if it weren't for this woman who came in and literally put everything away sold half our shit like she just killed it this woman samantha carp she's a lawyer who like doesn't want to be a lawyer anymore and so she started this like organizer business and so we hired her and she killed it and uh um yeah it's it's she fucking killed it you like desperately need that in new york i feel like you have to maximize every single inch of space that you have a hundred percent dude dude we live in a place where it's like i went to my girlfriend's house in florida where she grew up and i saw six detergents like in the laundry room and i was like we can't <laughs> we don't have room for six detergents you ever get pissed off dude you ever like you ever like look you ever like somebody's big house and you open a cabinet to f- try to like find like like a bowl or a plate or whatever and it's an empty cabinet and you're like fuck you you have an empty cabinet in your house it's not even I've an empty never cabinet. Had an empty it's, cabinet it's like when you have a, a cabinet where like things aren't just stacked on top of each yeah, other there's like, room, like completely there's breathing room yeah like this is the designated space for the bowls this is the space for the place it's like we just kind of have to like shove it all in there yeah for me you, what really uh grinds my gears is anytime we go out to my in-laws out in new jersey um and i like go i do like a lot of i just because i don't get to drive anymore i used to drive a lot obviously yeah. when i lived in dc and then when i moved to new york i lived at astoria for a long time so i still have my car and i miss being in the car driving going somewhere listening to music so anytime someone needs me to run an errand i can do that but like getting like cases of bottles of water just the ease of being able to like haul it from the grocery store put it in the trunk and then just drive it home and unload it versus now where anytime my wife like can you pick up like a pack of bottled waters and it's like i gotta plan my day around exactly this. oh 100 and I, I can't get i have to do like an individual excursion <laughs> to the grocery store just to get those bottles of water because you can't carry anything else with it and that's yeah, yeah that's well, the, so we did the uh dude we i carrying laundry is my biggest night this is what i've realized money is not as important to me as living life the way i want to live it so like exactly i I don't give a shit about like the extra 50 dollars a month or 100 dollars a month like i do not want to be you ever see that fucking poor person walking down the street with like bags of laundry struggling i'm like fuck that man like i'm i'm I would rather pay another whatever it costs to have like so we have a you know a lo- behind that door right there is a washer dryer. Oh, get so out of here! If you want to fucking wash these clothes, I might, yeah. If I leave, sw- if I sweat know. through the sweater because it's too yeah. hot outside, I might <laughs> I might throw it in there. That's one of my favorite um, 
lines in Seinfeld. I think it goes underappreciated where Jerry tells Elaine how he does wash and fold. And he's oh, like, yeah, wash and wash fold. Wash and fold. You drop it off. You pick it up. It's luxurious. <laughs> it's like, you're goddamn right, dude. Because it is just so it's so yeah. worth it to pay the 30 bucks oh, yeah, to dude. not have to think about the laundry. Yeah, no more of that shit, dude. There's a, it's just too many. There's too many like things you have to worry about every day anyway that it's like I don't want fucking laundry to be one of them. And the, I just the, don't. I love that point you made about money because... Like what what money is like some people want money just for things like for a car or like jewelry or whatever. But like to me, money and I feel this way with like when it comes to having a day job or it's just about like having agency and having the freedom to do things that are to do the things that are important to you and leave behind the unimportant or unuseful things. And to some people that is like, you know, jewelry and whatever. To me, it's like the ability to just live a like easier life where like I don't have to be stressed out by the things that stress me out like to me like like laundry is one of those things where I'm just like I don't want to think about it it's like, an I annoying just, little like gnat exactly. kind of buzzing around your exactly. head exactly and my brother's totally different my brother's like one of the cheapest people I've ever known and he'll do <laughs> anything to save money so like to him it's like he actually asked me I swear to god dude he goes could I come to your place to do my laundry? Where is and he? He's like, he lives on the upper side. Oh my! He God. goes. I'm like, are you fucking? I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm embarrassed to even ask Jen if that's okay. Jen's my girlfriend. I'm like embarrassed to even like let her know that you're that fucking cheap <laughs> or whatever. Like, like just pay. Like, what are you talking about? How long dude? have you two been together? We've been together almost a year. I think you can start exposing her to the to the oh, family no, no, foibles. I, I do, dude. I hundred percent do. But it's like embarrassed. Like, I, anyway. But I, it's like you almost want like. There's certain things I'm like super honest, dude, like like too honest probably about like all my shortcomings and everything I've fucked up with in the past and everything to my girlfriend. But like I also feel like there's certain things it's like, do I want her to really because like you kind of have to still protect people. Right. Like that's the thing. Right. It's like I don't want like, you know, certain people like I just think it's embarrassed. Like to me, based on my value system, I think it's embarrassing that he's asking me to come over Mm -hmm. to do free laundry as a 32 year old man who owns his own company. Like to me that, <laughs> to me that's fucking embarrassing. So it's like, it, you know, it's not that I'm like worried about what she's gonna think of like our family or whatever. I'm just like, dude, you, do you really want this out there? Like, just don't be this person and I won't have to tell people you're this person. It's you Just know? so you know, you should have a little bit of shame about this. Yeah, just and like a little me bit, not wanting to share it with my girlfriend is, is guarding you against yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, you're here now and you, you spent a long time in that neighborhood that I, Living now, I think the last time I saw you outside of a comedy club was you were out for a walk with your brother, correct? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. I was with him. Were, yeah, you, yeah. were you living? I think you were living at your your him, childhood home at that time. So like him, on the way him out, him and I lived together. I lived in that apartment for uh, twenty three years. It just at first, it was with my my mom and stepdad. Then I kicked them out. Uh, they, <laughs> they went they went to Brooklyn, and then I stayed there with different roommates over time um, until my brother moved in. Then I moved out. To move in with my ex, uh, got caught cheating, and then came back, and then met my current girlfriend. And I was, dude, I was legitimately, my plan was to be single for another like five, ten years. I was like, I am just gonna have fun. I'm not thinking about it. I'm gonna focus on comedy, and um, and a lot of women. And because yeah, you're on the road. Yeah, exactly. On the road, I was having a lot of fun. I was enjoying it. It is. It, it ultimately here's what I dude. I'm actually like working on this as a bit because I thought about it the other day. Like, uh, I was talking to Dan Natterman at the cellar, and he was like, he was like, so you might do it, huh? And I was like, yeah, I think so. And and I'm like, here's what I've realized. It's simple. It's a simple equation. 
I sat down and I realized that um, I, I calculated how long I'm going to potentially live on like the longest side possible. Right. So it's like, let's say like I live a really long life and it's to like 90, right. 95, mm -hmm. whatever. Right. Um, which I, I, I'm probably not going to make it that far, but, but uh, when's, when's uh, the time that, that men generally at the longest point stop fucking right. Like my mm -hmm. uncle who just died, my uncle who just died, who was very close with Gotti. He was, he had like four girlfriends, you know, um, until the very end. And he died at 79 and he was probably fucking pretty consistently until like 75 or something, which is like the, the it's a, it's longest a pretty good run. Yeah. It's an amazing run. Okay. But what I realized that he was also like a huge cheater and whatever is whatever. All the, all the role models who are supposed to be role models in my life were huge cheaters. My grandfather, him, everybody. Anyway, they all got cremated because I think, I think really genuinely because they didn't know how many women were going to show up at their funeral and like blow up their <laughs> shit. I'm serious, dude. I'm serious. So, so anyway, it's just like, thank God I'm not going to be there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's say you go to 70, 75 with the ability to still have sex pretty regularly. Okay. Right. Um, so I calculated that and then I calculated how many women in the world I'd want to have sex with. And I realized Pete, I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. Of course I'm not. I'm just, I'm just not going to get through every woman in the world that I want to, that I want to sleep with. So I realized, you know, at some point it's like pull out of the losing race. You know, it's a losing game. You know what I'm saying? Pull out, you know, found an amazing woman. And there's also like, I mean, risk with anything. Like uh, the thing that I love about being married and like being committed is like one for a fact, I know I'm not going to get an STD. Right. And like, I know that like the chance I'm never going to get a woman I don't love pregnant. Yeah. Like, do, do, you remove the, those were like two of my biggest fears when I was single. Yeah. And, and now they're just gone and I'm they're just kind of walking around like light as a bird almost. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred percent. And, uh, and yeah, the STD game, dude, that scared the fuck out of me. And, and yeah, all, all of those things. And it's like, I was still willing to take all of those risks, but I, th I think when you find someone who you just like, she was the only one I've ever met that. I didn't really have to think about like there Good. wasn't like a um, my, my body and mind made the decision before I was even really aware of it kind of thing. You know, you didn't so, have to talk yourself into it. Exactly. Just, you were talking myself into it. I didn't have to like go through all the shit where you're like, yeah, it could be. But is it? I'm not sure. I think so. But it wasn't any of that. It was just like, yeah, we are in sync, dude. Like and so, um, yeah. So that's why I'm sitting here on a in an apartment that's not, you know, only mine. With a giant Peloton next to you. Giant Peloton. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, your life has drastically shifted over the past three years. If yeah. I, I think, Mark, when you when you headline Gramercy, I think Mark Gerber posted something that was like, the beginning of the pandemic, March of 2020, Eric Newman and I both had 1,700 followers on Instagram. And yeah. now, as, as it says today, you're at like 101K. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, I know it's a long story. Like, yeah, take us through March 2020 and like when things really started, you saw things really starting to pick up for you. Yeah. So, um, so I think, you know, I, I was one of the, that group of small group of comics that during the pandemic was really going crazy. And like, I, um, I couldn't stand not performing like, so, you know, March 2020 happens. I remember Gerber and I were texting. I was booked at the cellar like on Wednesday and Thursday and it was like Sunday and that's when everything shut down. And I'm like, do you think like my shows are going to get canceled? And Mark's like, dude, this is going to be like a, 
at least a few months, maybe a year. And I go, no, it's going to be like a week or two weeks. I remain convinced that we were going to like at that time, even when things shut down, I I walked out of my office job the last day and I was like, see you guys in two weeks. And then some of them I just never saw again. Not not because they're dead because they quit or got fired. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And some you won't see um, until they're dead, maybe until they're dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, But, but anyway, so, so, um, I was going crazy and I think a lot of people, and you know, I've said this a bunch, so I hope if somebody heard me on a different podcast or somewhere else that it doesn't sound repetitive, but like I, um, I felt like the pandemic really divided comics into two groups. And one was like, cool. Now I have an excuse to like chill or fuck. This is so hard. Um, I got to find a way to still stay relevant and perform whatever. And I was definitely the latter. And I was at the cellar every night. I'd have been in the cellar a year at that point, almost. And, and I was, I was, I definitely felt like I was in for sure. You felt comfortable. Finally. I felt, I felt pretty comfortable. I felt like I was like, okay, I didn't feel like, I felt like when this resumes, I'll be back because I also felt like everybody sort of hadn't had a chance you know, employers, employees, everyone collectively sort of had a chance to, um, you know, like re like sort of reassess their values, what's working, what's not, you know, their businesses, their life, everything, right. It was just a real shift and, and, and turning point for everybody in general. And I never, and and I felt a hundred, I felt very confident, like, all right, like I'm in at the cellar. This is my home club. Now, um, when we resume, I'll be back. It's fine. But I had no idea when we were going to resume and I needed to like get, you know, keep the creative process going. So I was, you know, at first it was like, you know, March to June or whatever was just like outdoor shows, Zoom show, you know, um, um, Zoom shows, park shows, you know, Stand Up New York did some of those, you know, central park shows and whatever. And then um, the seller starting in September was allowed uh, outdoor, uh, indoor dining, but not shows. Right. I think I remember seeing them post like, Hey guys, we're having dinner tonight Yeah, with our funny friends or whatever. And so, uh, Liz Furiati, who I love so much, who's the GM of the seller. She was, uh, pretty much the only one working there. She was like running the whole olive tree cafe. And she would, I remember she would like write the, the, uh, the lineups. Like, so basically you would text her the day of, and you would be like, Hey, can I get up tonight? And nobody wanted to open because it was like behind glass with like eight people eating nachos sometimes. So like not even knowing there's actually a show, maybe thinking there would be, but not quite sure. Taking it back like the early days of comedy when you do those like ambush shows where you're you're interrupting people's dinner. That's exactly what it was. And like, um, were the shows at the olive tree or were they downstairs? No, at the olive tree cafe. That was the only thing open, the only room open at the cellar. And they would have like one server, um, who was usually a friend of mine, Jose and, and it was like pretty much like the same like eight to ten comics every night. It was like you know it, it, it would vary a little bit, but generally like every night was like me, Jared Freed, um, Daniel Simonson, uh, who else was there all the time? Uh, Eagle Wit, um, Ryan Reese, um, uh, Louie came in a lot. Um, uh, Shane Torres was there. Joe List would show up a lot. Um, uh, who will Andy Fiore would be there, but anyway, so so it sounds I, like, a, like a regular Saturday night lineup. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, no. it was yeah. a lot, for sure, and like and like Chris Rock came in a lot, and he would perform for like three people behind glass. Anyway, Renan Hirschberg, but I would, I would, um, I offered one night to like open, and I would host the cellar, so I opened. I was like, I'll open, like whatever, and then like Liz put me every night opening, and I was like, and I would, dude, I would eat my dick a lot, but it was like, 
it was, you know, it was a camaraderie and it was like a special time and it was like, who really wants it? And, and no matter how hard it was, we kind of all were appreciative for the fact that we were there. And Liz was a fucking champ, dude. She was like, people were dropping every night because of COVID. And it was like, it was like the really bad time during COVID. Mm -hmm. And Liz was just like there. And we were like joking about how she was just like literally like indestructible. Cause like everybody around her at some point had COVID left for, you know, two weeks or three weeks and came back and she just stayed the whole time. So, but it was a time where it was like, a, I was still writing bits and I wrote so much during that, that time, dude, I was like really writing. And I was in like a place in my relationship where like, we had just moved in, but like I was still having these commitment problems and we were having issues because of it. And I was like really putting like pen to paper and like going hard, um, you know, writing new stuff and then, you know, sort of, uh, you know, working it out of the cellar behind glass and whatever. So that helped me stay like sort of relevant during the pandemic. And then, you know, um, simultaneously, you know, TikTok was huge at that point and really started becoming popular, but only for really like dancing and stuff at that point. And I was like, I don't know if I was the first one to do it, but I was definitely in the very early group of like, I was talking to Jordan Jensen, really funny comic and friend of mine the other day. And she was like, if you ask 90% of the comics in the city who started, you know, stand up clip, you know, stand up clips on TikTok and Instagram, they would say Eric Newman and like, and, and Schultz was like, like I give Schultz all the credit for like, he like started on YouTube, like Schultz, like actually changed the landscape of comedy. I simply sort of just like, uh, piggybacked off of what I saw him do on a different platform kind of, and made it my own a little bit. You know? Yeah. I remember like with him before the pandemic, at least from my perspective, it was him, Mark Normand, Sam Morrell, And I think Joe lists too, but like on, but it was on Instagram. It wasn't TikTok at all. It yeah, was yeah. Instagram and it was still like the square videos. Yeah. Like, Instagram didn't have reels. TikTok wasn't a thing. So Instagram wasn't trying to copy them yet. Yeah. yeah. So I remember seeing for the first time, like, like just cut up, bits of like Mark Norman's like set on Conan and here's like a, a 30 second clip of it with some subtitles like oh that's really that's interesting that's like a new thing I've never seen that before yeah 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 but yeah then that becomes like the full vertical video becomes the entire internet video economy yeah my wife sure. works at the New York Post and they're talking now about like having a vertical video player on site just because oh, wow. that's that's everything is trending in that direction yeah no 100% and I was doing and I like did and I know Schultz did this but I did I mean, what, what separated me at first, I think was just like, I was doing a ton of crowd work. Yeah. So, and like, I, because I would host at the cellar and I had all this footage, I had a year worth of footage of me, like fucking with the audience. And I was still at that point, dude, I'm not saying like, you know, there were comics who did crowd work, but I, I was definitely amongst the first to put it on TikTok. And uh, and get a fan base off of it. Yeah, so it like, was. It certainly was not a thing yet. No, like no, 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 by no, 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 the time. It was. Yeah. It was definitely not a thing. And now everybody's doing it. And uh, and some people do it really well, and other people suck at it. But um, but but you know, I definitely was like, I got a fan base from it, and I was like, sort of, I became known as being like, you know, really good at it. So I think like. I think um, that helped a lot. So I started. Yeah, you know, at some point, I mean, I had I had one crowd work clip from the cellar. I think I was the first one to go really viral at the cellar for a crowd work clip um, on certainly on on TikTok. I had one that got like 20 million views. Oh, wow. Um, that I filmed in the lounge. And that one got like it got like 
you know reposted so many times and, a lot of those and, content aggregator yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, pages that yeah, are yeah, like here's lot. someone else's funny stuff like you yeah know, that's exactly just all they do. a lot and everybody dude like i would and, and that was the first time that i really realized because you you know the power of the internet like objectively and sort of like you know um and, and and you see videos and you hear about people around you but that was the first time that i got like a real glimpse into like wow like this is powerful and like because I was getting, I mean, I was getting stopped on the street all the time. Oh, and, wow. And it was awesome. And I still do. But there was like a moment where it was constant, where they're like, oh, my God, you're that guy. Like, it was like that kind of thing. And I was like, holy shit. And so that, and, and, and you know, what was great about when it came in my career, because at that point, you know, now I've been doing comedy 15 years. It was about two years ago that I went, that, you know, I sort of like amassed this this fan base. But, um but what's great about it is that I had already, you know, I, I, I've been a grinded out New York comic for, for 13 years before that. So it's like, I already had two hours of material. I was already very, very comfortable on stage. And like, so I think, and I already like knew what I was doing. So I think what made it easier was that it was like, I was already in at the cellar and I was already in a New York comedy club and I was already, you know, headlining, but on a much smaller scale. And so I think what it just did was just bump my career up a lot. And it, it ultimately, my touring ultimately led to me quitting my full-time job, which I worked at for, I was at AMC Networks. Oh, uh, wow. I was working there for, I didn't really talk about it much on stage or like in the comedy community because, you know, there's been that whole thing like, don't let anybody know you have a day job, which is like, to me at this point is ridiculous because it's like, you shouldn't be hiding parts of your life. That's like, part of my whole onstage presence sometimes where it's like, I have a day job and I'm frustrated because I yeah, want to do comedy. Yeah, yeah. And like, and like, you shouldn't be hiding, like comedy is about honesty. So I don't love the whole approach to like, hide it, hide a part of your life. Like, I don't think, I don't think there's any shame in having, in having to make money, like while you're pursuing a passion. I don't think I did it for so long. Like. There are probably people who thought that I was making, you know, a million dollars like, uh, oh, my God, this guy's like performing at every comedy club. And I, and I sold out Caroline's, you know, headlining there four times. So, like, people were probably there were probably fans or friends who thought that I was doing way better financially than I actually was. Um, but I, you know, I didn't really talk about it. And I just kind of quietly let people think I was doing it full time. If people asked me, I would tell them I had a day job, but I just like wasn't you know, I wasn't publicizing it just cause I felt like I didn't want to. Um, and, and then last year, a June, a year ago, I, I left AMC and I went full time. Wow. So, so, so you're coming up on your, your one year anniversary of quitting your job. Yeah. That's so awesome. This month. Man. Congrats. Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually kind of wild to think that it happened only a year ago because again, you amassed, like I, I just remember seeing your stuff really grow throughout 2020 and, 2021 but it wasn't until like halfway through 2022 that you were finally secure to be like all right i'm, yeah. I'm done with this and, and also here's the thing man like i come from um like you know i've spent the mass majority of my life with my you know being my mom's son and like my mom's a very like she's always like the safe approach like you know whatever and like you know, my dad's side, like my uncle who just passed away, he was like very entrepreneurial and whatever. And he even told me, I remember like five years ago, he was very wealthy. And he even told me five years ago, he was like, he was like, if you want to leave AMC, like I'm, you know, I'm supportive of that and I'll float you for a year. And I remember thinking like, no, like I have to do this myself. Like I want to feel comfortable, like, you know, whatever. So I kind of like turned down the offer. 
And then once I started and then sort of the decision, and I'm not saying that everybody has to do this, but for me personally, the decision was kind of already made because I was already like, I was almost on the road too much to still do a good enough job to keep my day job. It was like, it was like, I, I just, it was a direct conflict. And so I was like, okay, now I really have no choice. Like I have to quit. And it was still scary, dude. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like it, it was definitely still scary. It's like, I was watching this Arnold documentary and I love Arnold. I know you do also like yeah. Terminator two best movie of all time. I think that's, you know, shaped my entire worldview probably. Oh, it's amazing. You got to watch this dude. But like Arnold, like the whole documentary and like, I know like, you know, Arnold and the writer and the producer, it, they all sort of come to a decision like tonally, this is what we want to convey and this is what we want to achieve. So, so every, every bit of the documentary is going to lean towards whatever their whatever their message ultimately is. And, and so it's all a bunch of like, it's like basically three hours, this three part series of Arnold being like, I want it to be the best. I had a goal. I'm going for it or whatever. It doesn't show any of the indecision, the doubt, the whatever, which is like, I don't care who you are. Like, like Arnold, I love Kobe Bryant. I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. I don't care who you are. Like there's no fucking way that you don't feel all the, you know, the shitty moments that we all feel like, well, dude, there had to have been a huge, there was a huge time gap between when he won Mr. Universe for like the seventh or eighth time, whatever the record was. And like then when Terminator hits, yeah, he was like Hercules in New York. And it was this terrible movie that nobody saw and like nothing was happening for him for a long time. And then he's the Terminator. Right. So I think, I think people just sort of like, and I think it's easier once you've had the success that somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger has had to look back and be like, I had a goal. I had a goal. It's like, I, I would love to see those shitty moments where you're like, cause I know you had them. Don't, don't, don't convince me you haven't. Like I've talked to every, I've gotten to know a lot of really successful people on a very deep level and, and nobody's that blind. Mm-hmm. Nobody's that like, you know, one pat, like, you know, I saw my goal my, like, there's, there's moments of life that just fucking suck and hurt and make you feel like, should I quit? And, and I don't think anybody doesn't have them. I think people have them on different degrees. And I think being a Jew, I probably have them more than, than a lot of other people, <laughs> but, but, um, you hear the voice of your mother in your head. Oh yeah, yeah, I did approach. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who, but I think, I think that ultimately the strength is like, like I look back on on like my road to become full time and to just feel like okay like I'm I'm doing well now and it was so much struggle and so much shit to get there um but and some people had it way easier like mm-hmm. like there dude I had my first I was on the tonight show for the first time you know last February so you're talking about you still know, working at AMC yeah that's, yeah. Did you show up to work like the next week? It's like, hey, hey dude, guys. I, 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 sh- I did the Tonight Show and showed up a day later and answered my boss's phone. Oh, my like, gosh. like it fucking hurts, dude. Like you're like, it, it's it's and, and then you feel not that you should really care about what other people think or anything, but like then you feel like I was feeling like embarrassed because I'm like, oh, these people are probably thinking what a fucking loser. Like, cause, cause there's gotta be some sense of that. There, there, there has to be, I, I know everybody says like, don't, you know, people, these like podcasters or like influencers will go online yeah. and they'll be like, 
the most important thing is to not care about what people think. But they spent an hour or two on their hair before they fucking got on there. So and it's you know like, they're don't deep give me into their shit. analytics and like yeah, what, yeah, however yeah, many likes, li- literal likes this video don't gets. Don't give well, me this fucking shit. Like, I know you care because everybody cares. I think the real advice is don't care about what people think to the point that you lose who you are. And, and and you won't take risks because of what people think and whatever, but to care about, but let's just accept the facts. We care about what people think. You know, we care about what people in our lives think. Nobody could deny that. So it's like, it's like, don't give me that shit. It's a nice thing to watch. And in, in theory or ideally it's fucking great to hear, but like, let's just be honest here. And I cared that people thought I was on the tonight show and now I'm answering this, this, this phone and, and. I think it's good that I cared what people thought because it made me hungrier. And that's what I've always, you know, like I've always responded very well, ultimately to negativity. I want to be around positive people and I want to be around people that make me feel good. But anybody who's made me feel bad has just made that fire stronger and bigger. So like, I actually appreciate that. You know, I auditioned for Montreal. I don't know probably 11 times or something like that, you know? Um, and, and, and I've had sets in the callbacks that I was just like, there's no way they can deny this. And they had so, and they, and they did it many times. And I don't, I'm not going to sit here and be bitter or angry about it. I'm just going to say like, thank you. Like truly, truly thank you because that made me write more the next day. And that made me like analyze my career and my, and my life and say like, okay, like, you're going to have a lot of losses here, man. And, 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 and I spent Pete, I'm telling you, dude, I spent fucking summers, you know, that you would, you would audition for Montreal, like for the first time in like February. And then you would audition again for your callback in like May. And then you would just sit there for two months until they announced them. And you would try to figure out from other comics. Have you heard anything? Has your agent heard anything? And you would contact your agent. Have you heard anything? Any, any, has he written back to you? Blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm talking about two, like a month or two of just fucking torture and anguish. And then I never got Montreal anyway. And so I was like, I literally ruined seasons over this shit. And that's when I realized I'm like, you know what, man? And not like realized in one moment. I think you just realize slowly over time. But I definitely had moments where I go like, you're not going to get all the shit you want anyway. So you might as well just fucking try to enjoy life, man. Because... It's not worth it. I know. I've been trying to focus on that too, like not uh, get so dragged down by the negative that it, it messes up, you know, the good parts of your life, like yeah. my, my marriage or my dog or just like the nice apartment my wife is, has put together. Um, what I think is really interesting about the Montreal thing, and this is something I've talked about with like brass rings or yeah. go, on like a smaller scale. So like for me, it was always, oh, I want to get on at the Knitting Factory. I want to get on at, at Cabin in the East Village. And... Those I remember shows. both those both those two shows, which I never did cabin. I did knitting. And then I realized I'm like, dude, knitting was great. I don't mean to cut you off. Knitting was fucking great. But I realized like these shows bar matchless, you know, that Che and Nimesh ran, which like I was like, oh, my God, I got to do the show, which is fucking awesome. I respect both those comics a lot. And and they put together great lineups. And, and but that the crowd fucking blew that night. I bombed. And I was like, oh, this is the thing that I've been want. like people make you think that you want. Like everybody wanting something makes you naturally want it. 
And then you sometimes do it or achieve it, and you're like, oh, what the fuck was the big hype about There's this thing? There's a great book called, it's called Wanting, The Power of Mimetic Desire by yeah. a guy named Luke Burgess. And uh-huh. it's about the theory of mimetic desire, which was kind of generated by this guy named Rene Girard, where all of our desires or the things we want, we don't organically want them. We, we base them off of models that we have. Right. And like the things, the things that we see and like the way you can kind of guard against um, copying the wrong models is, is this, this concept of like thick desires versus thin desires. So like a thin desire would be like, I want to get on at, at Just for Laughs or I want to get booked at this one bar show downtown where really the thick desire is more like, I want to write a good joke that's authentic to me. Yeah, exactly. Something that's actually meaningful. And I think thin desires and thick desires are also the difference between, you know, fucking a million women that you think are attractive and having a meaningful relationship that that ultimately helps your life and, you know, fulfills you. It's a stabilizing so. force and it, it works over the long term. Yeah. Um, but like with the, the Montreal thing too, like going back to the bar shows and like, you know, with, with Matchless and Knitting Factory and Cabin, all those shows closed. And yep. I'm still doing stand-up. You know what I mean? At least for now. But uh, but it's the same thing with Montreal. It's like, you know, at, at this point, like Montreal is, I don't think anyone can deny, it's not as impactful or as important nearly as it used to be. And, and so you've outlasted that kind of brass ring, in my opinion. Like you've gotten to a point where you have a career for yourself and you don't, you don't need that I don't anymore. need Montreal. And, and, you know, if, if, if they give me the right offer one day and it works, uh, I'll go. But, but no, I don't need it because I made a career without it. And, um, and, and to be honest with you, dude, like I don't – like I'm very appreciative of – the people who have had my back and the, the clubs and like, you know, the sellers been like, I like, I, I can't, they, they helped make my career to a level. Like if I didn't get into the seller, I wouldn't have met all the comics I met. I wouldn't have gotten as comfortable on stage as I am. I wouldn't have become nearly as strong as a comic, you know, I am now and, and improved so much, dude, I've improved like the last like three or four years. I've just improved, you know, so much like so- it, it's been such a, you know, I've noticed that like anytime I see a comic get past the seller, the next time I see them on stage, it's like iron sharpens iron, like forged in the fire. Their, their, their skill level just like ramps yeah. up. I, I saw that with Jared Freed like five, six years ago when, when oh, he yeah. got past there, I was like, holy shit, this guy's like, Oh no, Jared. Yeah. Jared is a fucking killer dude. And like, um, I watched Jared. I told him the other night at the table, I was like, dude, I've been watching your new set. Cause I, you know, I, I host and he hosted at the seller for so long. And what I love about Jared dude is like, Jared, I felt what, you know, a lot of people ask me and like uh, a lot of my friends will be like, why are you still hosting? Like, like you're, you're a headliner, you're whatever. And I was like, I was like, I trust my own process. And to me, it is still worth hosting at the cellar because I want to be there and I get better by watching comics at the cellar all the time. I watch, I watch most Mostly every show that I host, wow. I'm one of the only ones. I mean, uh, like you know, most most they'll bring somebody up, they'll go in the other room, they'll hang out. Like I watch the shows constantly because I'm always learning new shit from, from the from the comics I work with at the cellar, and like not even like the guys that are so obvious, like the you know the the Louis, you know the Rocks, the Godfreys, the Tells, the like like the young guys at the cellar, like fucking Ethan Simmons Patterson, dude. dude. He's hilarious. Ethan Simmons Patterson is like I tell him all the time. I'm like, you are a fucking animal, and and I also love him. Like I think he's amazing. Mateo Lane, dude. Like mm-hmm. like what a fucking animal. But I told Jared, I'm like, 
you know, I, so Jared hosted the cellar for a long time and he's got such a big fan base and he's killing it. And, uh, and he stopped hosting like a year and a half ago. And like, which, um, you know, I, I probably got way more spots now because of it, but, uh, but, um, but I go, I don't care. Like, you know, like I, I stopped, I guess, and this is sort of like piggybacking off the Montreal thing we were talking about, you know, or, or getting booked a cabin or knitting. Like I stopped really thinking about what's right for everybody else and started just sort of having tunnel vision. And I'm not saying I don't get, I'm not saying I don't get sidetracked or have moments of weakness or whatever, dude, I definitely do. But overall, I kind of went like, this is good for me. Here's why. And this is what I'm going to use it for to try to get here. And it doesn't matter what other people are doing. Um, so, so yeah, no, I, I, so anyway, I, I like, am so grateful to the seller and what they've done for my career. I wouldn't have had that clip if I weren't at the seller. You wouldn't have had a year's backlog of footage from like a practical, like being able to churn out stand up clips on a regular basis when everyone's at home on their phones exactly. and no one else is doing stand up shows. Exactly. So, so I owe them so much. Um, and, and I'm so appreciative, like, you know, Michael Cox, who, who gave me my first late night spot, which I was actually kind of working on another one with him. Uh, and then Jimmy Fallon got furloughed, but, um, yeah. but, uh, but anyway, so so I'm so appreciative to the people who like believe in me and have helped me, and I'm appreciative to the people who didn't and and who actively said no, you're not ready for this or no, we don't want you, because every everybody's benefited me in in uh, in one way or another. You ever see the movie Whiplash? Dude, I fucking love it. Oh, there we go. That's yeah. uh, dude. The the scene where he where Miles Teller sits down with his girlfriend, and he's like, I'm not gonna be a good boyfriend. You're gonna resent me. Like he like goes through the mm-hmm. whole thing. I'm like, dude, that is fucking brilliant. Um, and it's. It's honest. It's oh, like so honest. so honest. It wasn't the right relationship for him. And like, there's no like, yeah, he could have just like slow rolled ghosted her, but he rather, he just sat her down in, in a very blunt, brutal way. And I understand it's like fictional, but still like that. That's the type of honesty that I don't think people practice a lot. Exactly. In relationships. And it was so interesting to see that portrayed on screen. Yeah. A hundred percent. But yeah. So I, I guess like my old overall, you know, biggest takeaway from this experience and sort of what I've gone through. And and by the way, dude, I have like 19 million more challenges that have come my way since then. And, uh, and, and, and so many things I want to do and accomplish, uh, you know, going forward. And then I'm working on now. Um, and, and we've hit, you know, and, and, and just like, just like, you know, I think anybody's career, um, you know, at any level, uh, you know, I got a, a real taste of success and, uh, and then, you know, um, had more hardships and, and things that I now am still trying to figure out how to sort of like, you know, everything's a mini pandemic, man. Like, <laughs> like the pandemic was like the big one. And it's like, it was certainly like a, a big, a big moment in time, but, but there's 19 million more small pandemics just in the sense that like, it's okay. What do I do now? How do I climb this mountain and how do I, you know, um, so I'm still working on it and I'm, you know, I don't, I don't see, I see, I know for sure that I'm going to be in this business forever. So to me, I have great days and I have wins on certain days and I have days with mainly only losses that feel like, Oh fuck. Like, what am I doing? Like, I still like, I don't think that ever goes away and speaking to every comic at every level. I think, uh, 
I'm, I'm pretty certain it doesn't go away. Um, but I think resilience is the, is the thing that is absolutely needed and can't be replicated or replaced uh, in order to go anywhere in this business. Yeah, I was going to ask, like, now that you've gotten to this place, do you feel like a level of comfort that's eluded you previously in your career? But it seems like the answer is no. No, 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 not a level of comfort. Um, I feel, well, I feel a level of comfort in that I know that I'm not going to have to go get another day job. I know that, like, this is where I'm going to make my money forever and you know and 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 not necessarily if it's going to be touring exactly or it's you know I'm, I'm going to keep growing the touring but like i really really want to focus on acting now also and on writing and other stuff that i'm working on sketches so like i just know that i'm not gonna i know for a fact that i'm going to only make money off of you know what i want to do and not have to go work for somebody else and and being self-employed dude i mean i mean this is the thing and like like you have to be responsible it's tough i'm only one year into it but like i'm going to take like two days in the hamptons like with my girlfriend because i'm like i think that's necessary right now mm -hmm. i think i all i want to do is fucking be by a pool and in a hot tub and like take days off and like i would have never thought about taking i mean dude i used to I like I used to do spots on my ex girlfriend's birthday, which is probably one reason she's my <laughs> she's my ex girlfriend. But uh, but but yeah, I I like there was I had no agency or will over my own life because I was just like I have to get up. Everybody's getting up. I have to get up. I have to work on this bit. I have to work on this bit. I can't like take a day off. I can't wait to take a weekend off. And now I'm 15 years in, and I'm like I'm gonna fucking take a weekend off. Like See, I, you know, that's that's great, and that's like. Why, why I've been struggling and why I'm kind of at an impasse right now because I've, I've had that like resilience, that whiplash attitude, that drive for a long period of time, but it it's just hasn't uh, led to anything meaningful. And it's, it's really um, – when you're not getting like a lot of positive reinforcement, you kind of have to self-generate your own motivation. 100%. And I, I feel like the, the, the well is kind of getting – tapped dry and like kind of that thing about you know putting comedy first or you know not being present with 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 loved ones i feel guilty of that right now and like whenever in the future my wife and i have a family i don't i don't want to be with my kid like upset that i'm not booked at some club yeah. or some show so like that's why i've kind of come to this this decision where it's like you know i if i had the choice do comedy or don't do comedy obviously the answer is do comedy but like emotionally it just doesn't feel tenable at this level unless there's like a breakthrough so like with this podcast it's like yeah the goal is to make a living but really all i want to do is just fill my calendar and do a lot of spots like that's right, right that's right. the struggle well, well that's the thing and then you have to also decide i feel like, dude it's like this it's like you know i love comedy so much it's 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 literally you know before meeting my girlfriend it was everything in my life mm. pretty much and like same and and the truth is um you know the truth is expectations are everything and like what you expect out of something that you're doing makes the whole difference of sort of how you view it and whether you view it as a positive or negative. Like for me, I knew that the second I started stand up that I even before I knew I wanted to do stand up, I was like, whatever I do, I have to be great at like I, I just can't. I just, I just had that personality where I'm so competitive and like, I'm like, whatever I do, I have to be great at and I have to achieve a lot of success at and stand up ended up being that thing. And so I knew like, you know, I saw guys like, you know, I was like, 
I started doing I, I started on a bringer show DF Sweetler's uh, bringer show at the strip and that's where I was for many years before I started getting more work elsewhere and um, and guys would come in you know in their 50s and just want to be better at public speaking so they were like I'm gonna take DF's class and like do the new talent show a few times or you know guys sort of you know, start stand up as just like, uh, this is going to be a fun hobby. Like maybe deep down they like technically want to make it or whatever, but maybe they're married with two kids and they're in finance and they're making millions of dollars. And they're like, this isn't going to be a viable career path. But like, I, want. I knew that stand up could never be that for me. And so to me, it was either like, I'm going to be really successful and make this a career or I'm not doing stand up. And so that's, that's how I've always felt about it. So that was my expectation. So anything shy of making it full time and being successful at it enough to not do anything else, uh, anything shy of that would have felt like a huge failure on my part. And and I just like, you know, I always joke with my girlfriend. I'm like, if I wasn't a stand up, I would be so far away from this business. I can't even tell you like, you know, what or so far away from comedy. Maybe I'd go to a different route or something. But like I would never be like a comedy manager, or comedy booker or whatever. Like like I, I get off stage for the last time. I'm I'm nowhere near this business again. That's it. I'm you know, and. You know, it's funny because I used to watch, I don't know if you're a huge Kobe fan, a big Kobe guy. Yeah. yeah. So I fucking, dude, Kobe is like, you know, Arnold and Kobe, those are like the, my two guys. And like Kobe, he, it was funny because like everybody knew how much basketball meant to him and that like, you know, he like lived and, you know, died for it. Um, literally lived and died for it. But, uh, but they interviewed him a year after he retired and they were like, uh, so do you miss it? And he was like, no. And I couldn't believe it. And then he started explaining further and he was like, I felt like I gave everything mm -hmm. to basketball. So when I walked away, I walked away with peace. And like, I think that's really how I feel about stand up, where it's like, I just want to put everything in and keep going and keep building to the point that when I leave, I can just enjoy my life and not have to think about it anymore. And like, that's, that's where I see myself eventually when I retire and when I'm done and like, but until then it's all comedy all the time. And like, so it depends what your expectations are. So like, I know you said like, you know, mm -hmm. you're thinking about, uh, so, so my point was before I get back to you, cause I have some thoughts on it is anytime I hear someone, you know, there are many professions where someone goes, I quit and I go, what, why'd you quit? I don't ever have to ask somebody why they quit comedy. Yeah. Because there are 19 million moments in my career where I went, this is where someone would quit. This is where someone would quit. This is where someone would quit. And so I don't have to ask because um, I know. But um, but I, I, I do also know this. Like for me, like I was saying about how like I'll take three, four days and go to the Hamptons because I need it. What it does for me is it makes me still love stand up. Yeah. And, and I realized, yeah, and I realized, and there's guys like Eagle Wit. Eagle's a really good friend of mine, um, super funny, and he needs to get up 19 times a night. And that's not me. I like He's to also get up, young and has the energy for it. He's young and has the energy for it, but and maybe that'll change and maybe it won't. And there are guys like that, but like Norman, for example. Norman will hit up like Mike still or like a bar show. like, And I respect the fuck out of Mark Norman, and he's amazing. But like, 
it's just not who I am. Like I like to do like, I'll do like two spots a night or like I'll host at the cellar and then I'll come home and write or I'll write before or whatever. And that to me is like, I, that makes me feel good about stand up and it makes me enjoy the process. And so that's, that's what I'm going to do. And, um, and I used to do four or five, you know, spots a night, but it's just not who I am anymore. It's not what I want. And so, yeah, sometimes going to the Hamptons for three days makes me come back with a renewed appreciation for stand-up and makes me enjoy it. And I said to myself, I was like, if I'm not enjoying this shit, none of it's worth it anyway. It doesn't matter yeah. if I'm making $5 million a year. Like, if I'm if I'm going to hate going on stage or get so resentful of the fact that I do stand-up, none of it. And I know that that's a slippery slope with comics and with, with stand-up. So, like, um, that's what I need. So, I guess what I was saying is, like... Uh, you know, if you're not enjoying it the same way, or this isn't anybody who says this is an art or a business is completely wrong because it's completely both. They're tied to one another. They're wrapped up. Stand up is not just an art and it's, and it's not just a business. You have to be, you know, you have to understand both to a certain degree. And so if, if the business ends up making you hate the art, then that's what it is. And if it's time to go, it's time to go. Or if you could readjust your expectations and go, you know what? I'm going to focus on something else financially, but I still love being on stage. So I'm just going to do it every once in a while, or maybe go to some bar shows or get booked on, you know, you know, I, I have, I have, I know a million different comics with a million different stories and a million different trajectories and a million different expectations. So it's like, you have to decide what's good for you ultimately. But dude, like, honestly, man, like, it's about enjoying life. Yeah, and I think so, the expectations thing really hits home because yeah, I have I have the same or I had the same expectations of like if I can't make this my living, it's I don't want to do it. Yeah, and and um, where was I going with that? So that that's kind of why I'm pulling the ripcord, so to speak, or like in the pro like this is this is my last. This thing that I'm doing right now, this is my way to wring out the last bit of what if, where if it doesn't work and I, yeah. and I do walk away from it, I can say like I worked as hard as I could yeah. for 15 years and I, it just didn't, didn't and pan Let me out. tell you something, man. This is a fucking brutal business. Like, you know, it's, it's just, it'll eat at you constantly and it'll really fuck you up. But, um, you know, I think... Wait, where was I going with that thought? It'll fuck you up, eat at you. It'll fuck you up. It'll eat at you. But I think that, um, yeah. So, so you decide sort of how much you can take and, and what, and, and what works for you. And, and I think, and I think walking away from it, knowing like I could see if that's where your life takes you and where, where it goes for you. I, if I were in your shoes, I would walk away feeling peace mm -hmm. with that because I think that not trying and not grinding and not putting the hustle in and not, you know, um, that's really what kills, Yeah, you know? And I think those people who sit on the couch all day and who watch stand up clips and who say like, Oh, that's not even that funny. Or, or I would have written the punchline this I way. I would have done exactly. Well, you didn't. If you invented Facebook, you would have invented, invented Facebook. Facebook. So yeah, the one of the best lines. One of the best lines. Love that movie so much. Um, and and yeah. So 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 you can you can walk away with peace if that's what it comes to. You know. Um, and 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 
and maybe shift, dude. And you never know. And maybe, maybe you end up, you know, sidestepping and doing something similar in the business or, you know, uh, just sort of like a slightly different creative path that ends up bringing you that because without the feeling of fulfillment and drive, it's not, it's not worth it anyway. Yeah. It's very difficult. And just the, the diminishing returns of like the amount of like effort I've put into like trying to get booked on shows and like, it just doesn't like, I don't get that back. That's, that's the difficult part. I think what could be interesting about, you know, if it does come to an end, because I don't think I'll ever stop like writing or like working on stuff creative. It just, it just working on stuff creatively. It just won't, I won't have the expectation of this is going to be, my career this is how i'm going to make my living so i think that might kind of like in a way free me up to like once you remove the burden of that expectation it becomes more fun and maybe you make something that like without even trying i don't want to say without even trying but like that that does somehow have an impact or breakthrough i don't know maybe that's just rationalizing and 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 uh and i think yeah I, i i think you have to just trust your instincts and and again, like there's so many different ways to be creative mm-hmm. um, and and it might not be stand up for you. It might be, you know, it might be creative writing. It might be you might end up like, you know, writing for someone's show. You might end up like there's so many different things. I mean, how many people do we know that are like they're not touring headlining comics? You know, they get up, but they may, you know, they're SNL writers or they're, you know, whatever. But like, I, I just don't think. I just think you have to kind of like be honest with yourself as far as like if I've put everything into it and I'm not where I am, is there something else maybe like and and people might barking up the wrong tree? Maybe or or, or you know and or, and people and I've I've read recently like um, this this uh, podcaster that I really like he he uh, he said something about um, how sometimes people are so far along on their journey that they don't they're just like all right i have to keep doing it because i've done it but it's like they're not feeling it anymore but there's it's because you've made this big declaration that this is what you're doing with your life now there's like okay well why are you quitting it's like it takes it takes a lot of balls to actually take a step back and be like well because i was going down this path and that path doesn't make any sense anymore so now i'm going to pivot because you have so much life to live and you're young so it's like do whatever the fuck you want and um and yeah, so I'm fully in support of whatever you, whatever. Obviously, you're a really funny comic, um, but I'm fully in support of whatever you decide and whatever you think is best for your life. And I think you should do whatever you feel is best for your life. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, uh, anything? Any projects you want to share? Um, put the links in the comments. Yeah, I mean, stuff. I have like a ton of headlining dates. I have like uh, I'm in like another th- 25 to 30 cities before the end of the year. So definitely. Um, uh, you know, my social, you can find my tour dates or, uh, Eric Newman comedy.com is my website for all tickets. Um, but, uh, but at I'm Eric Newman, uh, on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook is where you'll find me. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, Eric, thanks for inviting me into your, your new home. Oh, and, hell uh, yeah, Pete. Hell thanks yeah. For, thanks for the Drop encouraging time, kind bro. words. I appreciate it. And, uh, maybe I'll go home and watch Terminator two just for all time's sake. <laughs> we should dude. Hell yeah. All right. Take thanks easy. man. Later. Oh, like, and subscribe. I always forget to do that, but you know, you guys know what to do. All right. Bye. <laughs>